You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, you can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Owen Ken and Murph. Hi guys. Hi Owen, how are you? I'm pretty good, but with the Premier League season grinding horribly towards its inevitably dull conclusion, only one question remains. Yeah. Will there be any Irish footballers left in the top flight next season? I watched with interest, with horror, as Hull City were beaten by Derby at the weekend. I don't know how many free kicks Robbie Brady ended up smashing Beaten by Burnley. Bank. Beaten by Burnley. What did I say? Derby. Poor old Derby. Oh, I wanted to, yeah, I've, got, listen, I've got Derby down here in my notes because this mm. is a point I wanted to raise about them. But yeah, Robbie Brady smashing his free kicks off the crossbar. Really well struck. Just not happening for any of them. So that means himself, David Myler. Kind of kind of giving the goal away as well, Robbie Brady. Yeah, he, yeah. he was the man who was... Last to touch the ball, let's say, before Danny Ings uh, scored that uh, goal. That's Robbie Brady, Brady. David Myler, Paul McShane and Stephen Quinn all looking as though they're going to be relegated, certainly in the relegation zone. Derby County, as we discussed last week, are not going to be promoted. They managed to somehow slip out of the top six, the playoff spots, just just when you needed to be in there. Jeff Hendrick, Richard Kyo, new boy Cyrus Christie amongst the guys there who will be playing championship next year. So, I don't know, I'm just... Thank, thank God Everton managed to pull things uh, mm. back midway through the season. We could be in serious. What, do we, what are we looking for here? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sunderland won. Do we, do we have a few lads in Sunderland, don't we? John O'Shea, is that it? Uh, that's actually it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, thinking of a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. But, uh, no, he's, the, he's the only person. What are we hoping to happen in the playoff? Well, what Surely, isn't it? Well, what we've got at the moment is Brentford, Middlesbrough, Ipswich and Norwich in the playoffs. Uh, Middlesbrough have no Irish players, apart from Patrick Bamford, who isn't Irish. He used to, he was once, but he's not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he used to be Irish, but you're not anymore. Yeah, he, I mean, he played for he played for like an Irish underage team, but now he plays for English underage team, and I don't think he he wants to come back. Brentford, on the other hand, have five Irish players. Uh, unfortunately, they're two one down after the first leg of the playoff. Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Douglas, Alan McCormick, Jack Bonham, and Alan Judge. So. Um, from an Irish point of view, it's got to be Brentford from those two. Doesn't look like it will be. The other uh, one is Ipswich against Norwich, the local rivals. Aaron pitted against each other in the other uh, one. We've obviously got West Hildehan at Norwich, um, but at Ipswich, it's at Ipswich where the Irish truly team. Aaron. The Irish are teaming like geese all over the Ipswich uh, squad list. Uh, it really is quite something. It's the five points of the uh, championship. Division. Uh, Daryl Murphy, David McGoldrick, Stephen Hunt and Noel Hunt, Paddy Kenny, Dylan Connolly and Jay Tab. So not too many players are actually in the squad, uh, but a lot of a lot of Irishmen yeah. may be going up to the Premier League. Probably got to hope it's to do the job there. The, what worries me about the whole city is we're talking about players who are actually most of them have a similar enough pro- profile. Well, Robbie Brady's probably closer than Paul McShane to the starting setup now, but particularly with Brady, Myler and Quinn... And McShane, they're four guys who are, n- none of them have been regular starters very often, but all of them are in and around it. They're all mm. players who will probably feature 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're good squad players who we could do with being in the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, all players who you would think would really, really want to stay in the Premier League. If, just from a purely selfish making the Irish team point of view, there are guys who need the boost of being in the Premier League and being on match of the day every Saturday night, you would have thought. Let's yeah. get into the report on sport. Um, I mean, I think I expressed a little bit of doubt about Shane Long's decision to leave Hull for Southampton. At the start of the season, that was a good decision by Shane Long. <laughs> it was a really good decision. Even if he has been finding it more difficult to get in the team now, uh, often used as a substitute this season by Ronald Koeman. Uh, but it turned out that, yes, that was definitely a ladder rather than a snake uh, at the time, uh, moving from, from Hull to Southampton. Um, so it looks as though Hull are, are probably going down. QPR definitely gone down. Um, and essentially, uh, a lot of a lot. I mean, Joey Barton said some strange things after he said, "On the whole, the dressing room has turned up and given everything. One or two bad eggs have spoiled it. If it had been done my way, they would have been out of the building straight away." Um, so this was then put to Chris Ramsey, uh, the manager. He's not. He, he wants to stay on. He says he's not sure if he will be able to. If he will be interested with the job uh, long term, he didn't really want to expand on it. There are people who could have probably helped us that haven't helped us. Um, it sounds as though a bit of bad feeling has accompanied their drop. He's talking about players there who just don't want to be out in the field, seem happy enough to feign injury or at least not battle too hard to get back from injury because he made reference to that in another one of the, These interviews after teams been relegated are brilliant because yeah. people actually say stuff. Yeah. Uh, is it Clint Hill, one of the other QPR players, was asked, so... Did, did you show a bit of pride out there? Was that the idea, to show some pride? And he said, well, yeah, I suppose that was the idea. We yeah. didn't really show any. Yeah, we were useless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, Clint Hill certainly had, had a few things along those lines to say the previous time uh, QPR got relegated. Uh, I mean, Clint Hill will be one of those players who is regarded as a good lad, not a very good player. Uh, I mean, as a, uh, as a footballer, not a Premier League footballer, not anymore. You know, if he if he was at one stage, I mean, a team full of Clint Hills. If you had a team of eleven Clint Hills, you are going to get relegated from the Premier League. I'll tell you that now. Owen. Burnley may be more along the lines of the the good lads, and they're they're getting relegated too. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're they're getting relegated. I mean, Sean uh, Deitch uh, talking about that. Uh, everything has to be upgraded for this division. Nothing can quite prepare you for it. Um, other clubs who have been able to buy in players who are able to seize that moment of truth, score that goal. We've had to develop it from within the group. So he's making the point that um, it's not, he says, you're not now looking to get a player for one or two million like you were three or four years ago. Now you're starting by the seven, eight or nine million. That's for a championship player, not a rec- not a Premier League player. How many of those can you afford? If you're Burnley, you're lucky if you can get one because that's your budget done. So um, at least Burnley haven't managed to spend their way into a, into a hole. Like, for instance, one of the other teams that's already been relegated. Uh, so things are going to I mean the problem with you know, Queen's Park Rangers is that they're still in um, breach of the championship's financial fair play regulations which apparently can lead to this, some massive fines I mean you know you've, you see it like mentioned that this might lead to the liquidation of the club regulations financial regulations which lead you to liquidate clubs seem heavy handed <laughs> so what actually happens here do they have a meeting uh, a series of meetings with them why haven't they been punished did it have to wait until they, they weren't were, in the championship is, anymore yeah so just had to wait until they were back now there they are now, the championship now they have a nice, yeah, nice it becomes picture. relevant <laughs> right, okay. so they need to they need to sort that one out um, if one way or the other it's probably going to cost Tony Fernandez a few bob. They're basically being extradited back into the championship. <laughs> I don't know if it's that much of a deterrent to other teams in that situation, though, because Tony Fernandez will think the same way any future owners with a bit of money will think in the championship. Ah, look, we'll just spend our way out of this league, and we're not coming back anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no way we're going to let that. Yeah. Um, so that's them. What else was going on over over the weekend? Um, Aston Villa, I suppose, were were hauling themselves out of trouble as they have been for some time. Jack Grealish, once again, own uh, as a, a decisive figure in their uh, in their victory. Just watching matches today on Saturday night, and just just watching Villa being powered to victory by those dynamic ties of Jack, Jack and Cash. I mean, the man's legs to continue to be one of the eighth wonder of the Premier League world. I think his shoulders are even getting bigger. Yeah, I think so too. 
He's a real pocket rocket, dude. His his uh, his legs are so uh, muscly and gnarled. They're like uh, they almost look like they've been carved out of reclaimed wood. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You know, uh, there's a story told about uh, former Irish rugby prop uh, Tony Buckley, uh, Mushy Buckley, uh, who basically his socks. He always wore them around his, around his ankles, and people were asking, "Why do you why do you always wear your socks around your ankles?" He said, "My calves are actually too big." <laughs> Like, the socks, the socks will over. rip if I try and pull them over my calves. And I think that that's actually what's going on with Jack Grealish. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's almost certainly got something to do with it. The sock hasn't yet been built to hold Jack Grealish's massive calves. What he's got is the, the ability to control the ball first time, whether he's turning or not, um, to dribble past guys, uh, to pick players out in the penalty area. Um, pretty impressive set of abilities. Um... We still don't know. Tomorrow, we might know. Tomorrow, Martin O'Neill's going to name the squad for the upcoming matches against England, the friendly, and then the qualifier against Scotland. Well, he won't be in that squad, though, won't he? I mean, he's already, is that, <laughs> Kevin has already spoken on his behalf and told us well, that. Well, we don't know. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's been a little okay. bit of... I'd like to think there'd been, there'd been a bit of uh, movement on this, on this front. I mean, Martin O'Neill has often complained that he misses the uh, day-to-day involvement with players... Uh, all I'm suggesting is maybe here's an opportunity to get more involved in the day-to-day activities of a, of a player. We'll wait and see what Martin O'Neill has to say tomorrow. Maybe he will have spoken to Grealish about uh, maybe coming in for these... Uh, mm. Maybe coming in for these... He could, maybe not. He, he could come along to Kevin Grealish's weekly press up, uh, press briefing. He could yeah. head into that, surely. His new weekly slot on Talk Sports Breakfast Show with Alan Brazil. There is uh, a new version of Roy Keane's autobiography coming out. Now, this was a few days ago. I'm sure a lot of people already have heard these quotes, but... Um, apparently it's coming out later this month so basically similar to Alex Ferguson's you know you release a biography then a year later it's not even a year actually I mean the book, book came out in what November, November yeah um, uh, so you, you release one with some extra content and uh, is he just going to release kind of a pamphlet is, isn't that what used to happen with books that uh, Roy Keane's serialised autobiography that he's you on a rolling the, deal in the yeah you release the autobiography first and then you serialize updates to that which you can kind of staple into the book suggested pages where you just insert here are my thoughts on what's happened in the last two and a half months well I mean I don't know how many I don't I don't see why you should limit yourself to just one update I mean maybe he could release them at six monthly intervals if that's what you know if that's what the publishers wanted I don't see it, it seems as though he's ready to to oblige so we don't know we haven't seen yet what's in this new material uh, apart from what the Sun chose to report, which um, uh, includes Keane having a pop at Tim Sherwood for... Well, he says he's not having a pop, but he is having a pop, in my opinion. He says, uh, essentially, I went to watch Villa against Bournemouth in the FA Cup a few weeks before Paul was sacked, Paul Lambert. And Tim Sherwood sitting behind me. I just thought, all right. Some men go to matches if they think there's a job there for them. I believe Tim had been in two or three games. It's not a criticism of Tim. It's part of the game. It's the industry we're in. Now, that does sound like a criticism, especially when he says, I'd go the other way myself. If I thought the manager was under pressure and I was somehow being linked to the job, I'd avoid the place. So that and the sort of, this, all right, you know, makes it sound as though he thought it was a bit... Why is he, why uh, is he bringing Tim it up Sher- if exactly. not uh, criticising? Tim Sherwood actually addressed this the other day. He said, well, look, I mean, I went to about 20 or 30 matches while I was out of work. That's what I do. I was you know, trying to get a job. Villa were, the, Villa were probably the only club I wasn't linked with. He said, so, you know, whatever. Anyway, since Tim Sherwood has come in at Villa, he has made the Paul Lambert uh, regime, which obviously featured Roy Keane for some time, look bad by comparison. Results have been a lot better. He's introduced Grealish into the team. I don't know if there's anything about him in this autobiography, but if there is, I sincerely hope it's extremely positive. <laughs> I mean, would that be is would that be unprincipled? I think, you know, lit- can, can could any ideal be put... Uh, Above literature, I mean the, the one's the, country patriotism towards the, one's country. Surely, I know, but it, it would seem like a corruption of the purity of the ideal of of literature, uh, the the truth, the searing honesty that characterizes every utterance that comes out of Roy Keane's mouth. To compromise that in some way, just by just by putting in some sweet talk about Jack Grealish. Oh, I don't even the know arguments if I'd be... I had with Paul Lambert over the boy wonder, as I called him. <laughs> Uh, that's what I hope this uh, <laughs> this book reads like. Oh, uh, well, went out at hammer and dogs again with 
lambs in the manager's Comes room. from a great football family, of course. His yeah. granduncle played for the Villa. Yeah, yeah his Father dad, Kevin's Father a Kevin. great guy. And a shrewd, shrewd man when it comes to football. <laughs> All that off the field. This, this better be what this book is about. Yeah. Really just mentioned. I would, I would kind of like to... But actually, we do have a little bit on, on Aston Villa, uh, which is keen. Rather, uh, rather unsurprisingly, criticising the culture of Aston Villa. There seems to be the wrong attitude, uh, says Keane. Well, he, he says apparently, and remember, we are to, we're talking about quads which have been taken out of context. Who knows? They've been reported by tabloid. My role with Aston Villa was certainly affecting my work with Ireland. I felt it wasn't fair, says Keane, who apparently realised this, you know, a few months after taking the job when. Now, anyone really could have noticed that this might be the case. So what? You're taking a job, which is a, a, a full-time job. It's a, you're taking on a full-time job, being the assistant manager of a Premier League club. And you're also going to do the Ireland job in your spare time. That sounds like too much work. You know, people have a, full, a full-time job. The thing about a full-time job is that it leaves you just the right amount of time for the rest of your life that you'll also need to do in addition to devoting your main energies, your working energies, to your full-time job. And you're going to do that, plus the part-time job. Well, you've called it a part-time job, even though for a lot of people it's it's quite well paid. Um, you could have seen, I think, Alan, that that might have caused a problem down the line. Yep. Indeed, it seems to ha- indeed, it seems to have. But part of it, judging by the tone of what we've seen from this book, also... It reflected a, uh, the fact that Keane wasn't enjoying this job either. He says, there seems to be the wrong attitude. We're not going to be challenging. This is in quotes. This is an imaginary Villa player. We're not going to be challenging, but we're probably good enough to stay up. Unquote. It's like drifting. It's a tired club, a tired brand. I think some of the players even subconsciously thought, we have a nice life here. We don't want you rocking the boat. You'd be patting them on the back for putting their boots on and being on time. And half the time... They weren't on time. And he goes on to mention Benteke, the man whose goals have uh, have really uh, put Villa into the FA Cup final and saved them from relegation. He wasn't one for scoring many goals in training. With all the top strikers I'd worked with, the top ones always love scoring in training. So maybe just himself and Villa, it was just one of those things that was never really going to work out the way they both hoped when they got together. It mightn't have helped that he was there with Paul Lambert. Yeah. Paul Lambert doesn't strike as a guy who's going to put the joys of life uh, into his uh, into his daily briefings with the players. So, so then you've got Roy Keane, who certainly doesn't fit anyone's idea of the stereotypical jocular second man, the arm around the shoulder person. No. Maybe he'd fit better with Tim Sherwood, actually. Because Tim Sherwood's bringing enough positivity. If Roy no, Keane was in there... As a number I don't think he would fit well with Tim Sherwood. <laughs> I just don't think he would. I mean, it, it is... The the more kind of scathing he gets about people, the, the fewer the it sort of dwindles the the band of people you think he might actually possibly work with. But you can just imagine how annoyed he'd be with Tim Sherwood's jocular bonhomie, you know? Look Sherwood going around like smiling at everyone and like you know, pretending to be their friend. Mm. You know what I mean? Tim Sherwood has managed to breathe life into the heaving asthmatic old club that uh, Roy Keane uh, was describing there. Yeah. He's managed to do it. And I mean, who, who knows? Maybe Tim Sherwood won't be able to take Aston Villa all the way into the Champions League. That's always a possibility. However, he does appear already to have done a better job than Paul Lambert. At any point. I mean, Lambert never achieved anything in Villa. just didn't take off. It was strange because the Norwich team that Lambert had was actually good. They got promoted twice, you know, from, from the third tier to the top. And they had a real, they had a bit of energy about them, a kind of a bit of an enterprise about them. And the Villa team was just, a zombie, like it was a zombie from the from day one. It never uh, came to life, uh, and certainly Keane didn't seem to have any discernible positive impact when he got there. So you do kind of wonder uh, at the end of that, what's the point of of slagging off the culture of Aston Villa when you fail to make any impact on it? You know, you're telling you're telling me that it's because they're oh the you know you're patting them on the back for putting on their boots. Well, whatever. Tim Sherwood is saying to Christian Benteke seems to be working a lot better than that. Yeah, it's a fair point because when people talk about the culture within a club or within a team, I often think that is fairly easily changed. It's not as though 
it's 1970 and these guys have all been at Aston Villa for many years and there's a, a young Sid Cowens on the way up and all this kind of nonsense. It's, it's literally a transient group of players who have no actual attachment to the club and just have a certain way of thinking about things. That, the culture that sh- is what you make it. Yeah, it really is. It should be anyway. And Maybe Keane wasn't in there long enough to affect that, but... Uh, he certainly didn't seem to make any big difference to it. Brendan Rodgers, is that where you're going next? Uh, just briefly, Owen, um, Brendan Rodgers uh, and Liverpool beaten, uh, not beaten, um, drew, drew, uh, drew 1-1 against Chelsea. I thought a Chelsea team, which I've never seen so ragged and so casual and giving up so many chances, I wonder why that could be, you know. Um, but they drew 1-1, uh, John Terry and Steven Gerrard, and... Gerard at the end, 79 minutes, he was subbed off. And strange one where it was a little bit like Fabregas at Arsenal the other day, uh, the other week rather, where he was initially booed and then sort of the whole stadium started to clap him, you know. And he obviously afterwards said, I don't care. I mean, he <laughs> said, yeah, it was nice. They, they were respectful for about two seconds, but, uh, you know, they'd been abusing me the whole game. Nice of them to turn up today. So... <laughs> not really, not really being gracious and kind. It Chelsea were absolutely s- proper order from Stephen Gerrard. Must have been a sickening enough day for him having to do the guard of honour. No, uh, no bunch of players wants to do that. I wonder, can you just refuse to do that? Sure, you could, but it's bad sportsmanship. You know, I mean, it's like uh, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. I've do seen Real Madrid have to do it for Barcelona. Brian O'Driscoll said, said in his book that Eddie O'Sullivan floated that idea before the Ireland England game in 2004. Which I think was a prawn sandwich one, wasn't it? I think it could yeah. have been all the same one. And O'Driscoll, they just won the World Cup, and Ireland were going. I was just, I just said, not a chance. We're not. We're just not doing that. And uh, n- n- that idea never got off the ground. Maybe the players. I would imagine the players in a Premier League team don't quite have the same amount of input into the decision making process as an Irish rugby captain. Mm. Would. Yeah, it's kind of different as well in that uh, England, England were remain the only Northern Hemisphere team to have won the World Cup. So no team has ever been in the position that Ireland were in. There and whereas there's always going to be a Premier League winner, so there's an etiquette there, I suppose. So, and the uh, soccer teams tend to spend a lot of time hugging each other before game. There doesn't seem to be this idea that you build up a hatred at the start of a game mm-hmm. or before a game. Whereas in rugby, everyone, I, the idea I think is that you don't give them one inch of a psychological yeah. advantage, which a player might believe a part of them onto the field. They, they clap them off the field, don't they? They do that. Yeah, because that's finished. Okay, the yeah. battle is over then, Ken. Well, That's when rugby men can. When rugby men can get together, yeah. retire to the club, have a beer, drink fifteen beers, and you know, yeah. have a chat about it. That's, that's the rugby culture. That's the way it goes. It's. It's. I mean, I, I didn't Manchester United have to do it for Chelsea about ten years ago. When I think they had to do it at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, so you know these these things sometimes happen. Um, Brendan Rodgers uh, said that Liverpool were outstanding. Second half outstanding. Um, we got off to an awful start. Disappointing goal from our perspective. Uh, the goal of John Terry header after Ricky Lambert forgot about John Terry. Um, <laughs> the top scoring defender in the history of the Premier League, it turns out, Terry's, which is quite good given that he's never taken any penalties apart from one penalty that everybody remembers. Uh, but he hasn't scored any penalties. That's the important uh, point. His goals, none of his goals have been penalties. And now, Rogers. Uh, essentially uh, talked about this substitution of Gerrard uh, and he he actually claimed somewhat, well, I don't know, I don't know if you believe it. Uh, why did you take Stephen Gerrard off before the end? Just purely, as I said, Stevie, he's worked brilliantly and it was more just to give him the claim of probably his last time playing here at Stamford Bridge and it was a great reaction by the Chelsea supporters to him. So he, he was outstanding, got his goal and a real general he's been for the team today. I think, as I said, the Chelsea supporters, obviously, he's been a thorn in their side over many years, purely because he's got quality, he's been a top player. But I think they recognise today the end of an era of a guy who's a real special, special player, and it was a nice send-off they gave him. Yeah, I'll go with that, I believe that. You think? I choose to believe Well, why did he take him off with, with nearly 15 minutes still yeah. to play, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. If it was just to, to get a, a claim, did in the 91st minute... And don't, didn't Liverpool kind of need to win this game? They, they, you know, they, they, like, if they didn't win the game, that was the, it. Whatever about the acclaim or whatever. I mean, you got to try and win the game that gives you a chance at qualifying for the Champions League and earning like 50 million quid next year. Yeah. Uh, that, okay, so it was part tactical, part acclaim. How about that? 
I... Just he, he failed to mention the fact that it was part tactical. <laughs> that was, was a... if he'd forgot. That was part one. That was part one of the answer to Brendan Rodgers. Part two is unfortunately has been lost. He didn't actually give us part two. And it meant it, it. It obviously meant a huge amount to Stephen Gerrard as his comments after the game <laughs> made clear. So no doubt that that's what he uh, would have wanted. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, the the Rogers thing I think is going to become an issue now over the next little while. Uh, we'll talk to John Bruin about it shortly. But you know, the question now, I suppose, is whether for um, the owners of Liverpool, whether they stick or twist. You know, in the past when when man- the manager has fallen short of expectations, they have got rid of him. He is, however, the first guy that they have sort of hired themselves, really, from the from the beginning. I mean, they did hire Kenny Dalglish, but that was kind of suggested to them by everyone, and they never really seemed that happy with the idea. Um, but, you know, you've got Jurgen Klopp available now. It does create a, a question suddenly there. Uh, in, if you look at the way that they've run their baseball uh, team, they have never hired a Jurgen Klopp-type manager, by which I mean to say... Uh, a previously successful star name. There ha- actually, there was one guy. Was it Bobby Valentine? Um, I can't remember these baseball names. Yeah, I'm no, Bobby Valentine was a, was a coach. I think he's an outspoken character. I think he may have been the only one that, that broke it. Most of the, the guys they've hired have all been Rogerses. That type of guy. Never read, done, never won anything. Younger guy, they consider to be promising. That's who they tend to go for. I think Bobby Valentine didn't really work out. Um, he was maybe more of a Kenny Dog leash. Uh, Klopp is a the, the the thing that goes against Klopp. I think from their point of view is that he's a star. Precisely the thing, precisely the reason why I think a lot of Liverpool supporters would think he would be a good idea. You're trying to attract players to play for a club that isn't in the Champions League and doesn't have as much money as you know the, the sort of clubs above it in Europe. How are you going to do that? Well, if you've got somebody like him, maybe then you can. You've got a better chance. You would have thought, but uh, it hasn't been the way typically that the uh, Fox guys Fox. Fox Soccer Channel, Fenway Sports Group, FSG, not FSC. <laughs> Fox. Dear, oh dear. Uh, one other thing, Owen, which is that Pep Guardiola is speaking ahead of the Barcelona match tomorrow, uh, says he's denying these reports, which have been all over the place in Germany over the weekend, that Man City have lined up a deal for him already. I've said it already 200 million times. I will be here next season. That's it. I have a year left on my contract next season. I will be here. So uh, that's uh, that's what he's insisting at the moment, anyway. But who says it's up to him? Bobby Valentine was the man, Ken, who was unceremoniously dumped after one season. The Boston Red Sox thought that he would restore order to a coddled clubhouse that disintegrated during the 2011 pennant race. Instead, he caused more problems. The brash and supremely confident manager was fired Thursday. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The players had already come out and had a massive go at him, I think, uh, before all that. But that's uh, enough Bobby Valentine talk for one report on sport. God, I was banging on about Bobby Valentine in the middle of the football Wrap show. Up and continue the show. That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Death man can never die. Thirty-four years old. It's one of those things. Death man can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. John Bruin is ready to talk Liverpool, and we might get on to that Klopp element, John, but. Just on where Rodgers is now, they've lost Suarez since last season, half their goals, they've lost a quarter of their points, they're placed in the Champions League, Gerrard's on his way out, maybe Raheem Sterling too. How are things looking for the boss man? The, the thing about Brendan Rodgers at the moment, I've, I've been to see Liverpool's games a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, is he seems to be talking a lot about getting through a good pre-season uh, and how transfer business is going to go this summer. Now, is that some hope that he actually gets to carry that out? I don't know at the moment. The thing I would say is I don't really hear too many whispers that he's going to be removed. Um, though things can change. Um, if you recall uh, when Kenny Dalglish lost his job as uh, Liverpool manager back in 2012, uh, he was called over for an end-of-season meeting in Boston with Fenway Sports Group. 
um, and was <laughs> dismissed while he was out there. Now, I do understand that um, there is going to be one such meeting, but there is at the end of every season. I think that's maybe the point where the speculation uh, may begin to heighten. But at the moment, you look at Liverpool and you think, what are their options beyond Rodgers? There's Jurgen Klopp, of course. Um, but that trail seems to have gone a little dead of late. Um, and in the meantime, Rodgers is doing his usual act of uh, trying to paint a pretty picture of the way things are and the way things will be. Um, it's 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 got it's it's some act to carry that off if that's the case, John. Because Liverpool to me seem to have um, failed where, where they had failed this season uh, at the beginning. They've just failed all over again in the last couple of weeks. Because uh, in case anybody hadn't noticed, Manchester United actually ground to a halt there for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool made absolutely no dent in the in the lead. Manchester United lost three games in a row and never even had to get nervous about it because Liverpool behind them were so awful. I mean, surely John Henry must have, have noticed that. You know, having failed once, he then went and failed all over again. Yeah, and that's the that's the big thing. It's the big question mark against Brendan Rodgers as Liverpool manager. Every time there is a vital match to be won in which they can put pressure on Manchester United or even, I suppose, last season go to win the title or in an FA Cup semi-final against Aston Villa, um, in the Europa League against Besiktas, uh, in the Champions League against Ludogorets and Basel, he's fallen short. And, I mean, the game against Hull... A couple of weeks ago, which I attended, and they were absolutely dreadful in. Um, and yesterday, when let's face it, Chelsea were pretty much on the beach. That was a team playing at half pace. Uh, you know, even Jose Mourinho tried Ruben Loftus Cheek, who was okay, but uh, and Loic Remy, who to me looked very far from being fit. Liverpool just could not get it done. They couldn't create enough chances to uh, to create any threat to to Chelsea, and. Yeah, and the thing is, they, if they actually look over at Manchester United and look how Manchester United have played, apart from that month where they um, you know, pretty much secured their top four position, United have had a very poor season. I mean, they were dreadful against Crystal Palace at the weekend, yet Liverpool have barely laid a glove on them. John, I quite enjoyed Stephen Gerrard's post-match interviews as he resolutely refused to be drawn into praising the Chelsea fans who, as he said, turned up for once. Uh, they did. They were very nice to him this time around. Was he within his rights to reserve any praise for the Chelsea supporters? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, he got, what was it, five seconds of innovation and then the rest of the time had to deal with being reminded of Demba Bar and the fact that he's never won a league title and I suppose a bit of residual stuff about the fact he should have joined Chelsea in 2005. I was quite uh, impressed with what Gerard said. It was very candid, candid in a way that we haven't really seen through much of his career. But I suppose he doesn't have many, there, there aren't many bridges he needs to keep going at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it kind of struck me. He's being asked these questions and he's, he's almost smiling, answering them, saying, look, I'm not playing your game anymore. <laughs> I know you. I'm supposed to praise these supporters now, but I don't really need to butter people up at this stage. Well, absolutely, yeah, and he, he, I think what he said was absolutely fair enough, and it's the sentiment that he probably uh, actually believes in, which a lot of the time when you hear footballers say things, you know that that isn't really their private view. Um, I did think one of the pointed things that he said was to talk about how the owners needed to spend money and back Brendan and uh, bring in quality players. I thought that was an interesting little broadside to come out with. Um Maybe Steven Gerrard is preparing himself to become some kind of candid pundit, you know, maybe, maybe further along the line. I can see that. Um, it, that's not been the first time he said things like that in, in recent weeks. You know, maybe we're seeing a different Gerrard at the moment. Well, I don't know. Still the same, pretty downbeat, pretty kind of the glasses half empty. Stephen Gerrard, as far as I can see. But the one person who he is prepared to praise unreservedly. Um, it's Jose Mourinho. Now, these two, from Mourinho's side, it's a, it's almost a creepy fascination that he seems to have with Stephen Jared. But Jared was there yesterday as Our well. Our dear old enemy. Our dear enemy. You know, going on, he's been going on about this for weeks as well. And and Jared there uh, yesterday was saying, oh, you know, my, he's the, the best best manager in the world. Talking about all the times he could have joined them. There was even it even turned out to be four times if you counted up all the times he could, he mentioned once at Liverpool. 
uh, one set Inter, one set Real Madrid. But of course, it was twice at Liverpool, so that's four times. Uh, Jared almost joined Mourinho. What do you make of this mutual appreciation society? What's what are what is each of them getting out of the other? Well, it's one of those things where it doesn't really matter now. So they can um, garland each other with praise. It's one of those things that you find, isn't it, amongst the sort of real elite of football, is that they do throw around praise for each other uh, and almost protect each other a little bit the way that, say, Thierry Henry was protecting Gerrard after that sending off against Manchester United. Um, people of that standing tend to stick together a little bit. Um I mean, Mourinho said yesterday, what did he say? Like, it's, He was asked actually directly about the, you know, the Dembélé song and he said, oh yeah, that's actually a song of respect, which was stretching it a little bit, I felt. So, so um, you, you would say it's almost that by praising each other, they sort of elevate, uh, elevate rather each other to, the, to a kind of a common standing above everybody else. Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a boys club, isn't it? Once you get to a certain level and you would very rarely specifically in English football, you have to say, uh, would see that that group of people criticise each other. Um, you know, once you've made it to a certain point, then you're part of that group and you're probably protected and no one's going to criticise each other. And then, you know, this, these very showy public shows of respect come out and everyone's happy. But, I mean, I'm not sure how true it, it rang. Um, I mean... <laughs> The, the, calling him the, the greatest manager in the world was maybe stretching it a little bit from Gerard and uh, Mourinho. I mean, as you said, it's been a uh, a week, two weeks long of uh, of a, you know of praising Gerard. But to, to be honest, what does it matter to uh, to Jose Mourinho? Steven Gerrard is no threat anymore to him. Um, hasn't been for maybe a couple of years, in fact. So uh, he can say what he likes. Uh, just. Um one final thing here, John, is uh, there was a piece by Barney Roney over the weekend, a headline, has this season offered up the most boring moment in modern football? Um, and makes the point that it's not just the Premier League, which has been decided well before the end, but actually almost every league, when you look around Europe, it's just... Uh, and, and all the seasons seem to be quite similar. Most of the seasons seem to be quite similar to the season before, uh, with the biggest team uh, winning. Do you think this is actually becoming a, a problem? I mean, is, is it something that you've noticed as, as in this being an unusually boring season? Yeah, I'd, it's a discussion I've had quite a lot actually with other other journalists around the press rooms and stuff. It's you know over over here we talked about the championship being exciting, but that got wrapped up two weeks before it finished, or you know a week or so before it finished. Um, it has, I mean, you know, there's still some of us hoping for some final day excitement. Uh, at the bottom of the relegation battle, but beyond that, not a lot has um, has altered. And you actually look at the teams that have. I think we expected Chelsea to win the league from the very outset. Um, I think we Arsenal maybe have done a little better than we expected, but never, as I said before, uh, the phrase I used before is laid a glove on Chelsea. Um, City have done pretty much what they do in uh, seasons which end in an odd number. Uh, not shown up. Um, and Manchester United uh, have struggled to rebuild themselves but possess enough talent to finish in fourth place. And I think at the start of the season, we expected Liverpool to be um, in fifth place, maybe. But um, the problem with Liverpool is that in amidst finishing fifth, apart from that very brief spell where they uh, changed the formation and Brendan stayed up all night with his tea and mm-hmm. toast. They've actually been dreadful to watch. Really, really boring. Um, and you flick through it the rest of the season. I mean, let's look at that. I mean, Burnley and QPR going down, all very predictable. Yeah, I mean, I think last season was a, was a far better season. Really exciting, going down to the wire. Um, what we blame this on, I think finance has become, uh, has got an even stronger, I suppose, it's finance has definitely had a bigger effect on the game as time's gone on. Um, I think maybe the World Cup has had some sort of residual effect on a lot of teams because there's tired players about. But uh, yes, as a season, I won't remember 2014-15 as a vintage one. Um, and I suppose what we have to hope is that next season is more exciting than this. Yeah, let's hope so. We don't even have a World, have a World Cup to look forward to this summer. John, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Uh, must keep... Energy levels up 
for a rest of podcast during season. <laughs> Sorry, podcast listeners, what can we do? We can't uh, we can't jazz this up for you. It's shite. Well, that's the a Premier fa- League has no. been shite this season. It's there a, you go. Um, it's a failure of imagination to to uh, to say that this you know this Premier League season merely because it seems unbelievably boring <laughs> has has in fact been boring is a failure of imagination. Why do we not look, Owen, to our greatest? Um, our greatest novelist, Mr. James Joyce, uh, who took the, uh, you know, one might have said unpromising materials of a single nondescript day in the middle of a nondescript year in a nondescript town and, frankly, a fairly nondescript country at the time or any time and crafted it into what many people say is the greatest novel ever written. Uh, Those people are wrong, <laughs> what they say. Why do you say? Oh, you said you. you oh, when I was wrapped up by Ulysses again when I was in English, I really enjoyed uh, Declan Kybert, isn't the name of the, le- the lecture? Oh, yeah. There. Really good, really enthusiastic about it. And I loved the lectures. Mm-hmm. Then I started reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't dig it as much as I lectures. Look, it's a book that, that isn't afraid to make demands of the reader. You know, you know the same way that, that, uh, that Alex Ferguson's kind of demanding manager. <laughs> you know, he asked a lot of the players. In the same way, Ulysses is kind of the Alex Ferguson of. Novels, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna give you an easy life necessarily. You know, it's gonna, it wants more from you, but it promises big rewards. This is what this is what people say. <laughs> this is what people say. So you know, I'm I'm just saying, this Premier League season, sure, it does look as though they might as well just not play any of the games and award the places according to like bank balance. But that's not to say there isn't beauty to be found, Owen, even in this. And uh, in fairness, there is also. Um, so many people saying, well, you know, obviously, you know, that's just the way it is. We were treated last year to the most dramatic Premier League title run-in of all time. So, I mean, the way you talk about a season like this year is, well, you know, it's always going to be. And I'll tell you, next year it's going to be even worse. Who knows? Mm. You know, who knows? So I'm ju- let's just stay positive here, people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not all bad. Let's talk Bayern Barca now and see if we can get a bit of joy from the Champions League as we did last week. Jonathan Wilson's ready to go. John, Bayern have lost again coming into this one at home to Augsburg, 1-0. That's four defeats in a row. The first time that's happened to them for 24 years. This competitive slackening is a bit of a problem. Why do you think... Is it a pep problem that they seem to just fall apart towards the end of the seasons the last couple of years? Or is it a pep problem rather than a Bayern problem? I think it might even be bigger than that. I think it might just be a modern football problem. I mean, I remember speaking to Igor Bischan... Uh, several years ago now when he was sort of winding his career down at Dinamo Zagreb and he was sort of very very downbeat generally uh, but one of the things he was downbeat about was the situation Dinamo Zagreb found themselves in that they, they won the Croatian League every season by you know, 8, 12, 15 points, whatever that was sort of in the bag by August uh, and then what happened was they, they, they were drawn in a, a Champions League qualifier or Europa League early round against a, a team who, player for player, was of a roughly equal standard, but who had a, had a tougher league, who weren't guaranteed the championship in, in their league, um, and so were, were, were tougher. They were, they were used to battling, they were used to fighting, they were used to being able to defend. And, I, I th- and you know, he said Dinamo Zagreb ju- had just got soft because their defenders never had to defend. The job of the fullbacks was always to, to look to overlap, to attack, to break down mass defences. And... I, th- I think you could see that sort of five or six years ago across that sort of you know, mid-tier of leagues, you know, Croatia, places like that. And I think now, as money has coalesced even further, Kragia even further at the top end, uh, we're now seeing it in, in the major leagues. And you know, we've seen Juventus romp away with Italian title. It doesn't seem to have affected them yet in Europe. Um, but it, it certainly has been a problem for, for Bayern. That I, I think there is a, a softness about them. Maybe even PSG in, in previous seasons, when they've won the French League so easily, that the, they just haven't been haven't been case hardened to to really fight for a game, um, and so yeah, I mean this season and last season, Bayern have followed up winning the title by failing to win any of the next three games, and have gone out of the Champions League as a result. Is that going a little uh, bit easy? Sorry, on, go on. Yeah, I'm just wondering is that going a little bit easy on Pep Guardiola because they know from the start of the season they're going to win the league anyway. Uh, it's not as though they're they're being challenged say by Christmas time they could slacken off then but they don't I know the human beings uh, they're not just robots these footballers are human beings they know they have something wrapped up and therefore maybe ease off a little bit but is it is it not 
Guardiola, what Guardiola is being paid a lot of money for to peak at the right time of the season and to manage these players properly, to not allow them to slacken off essentially in the league games, make sure they keep winning because it seems once they do in any way take their foot off the gas, they can't actually compete in the Champions League. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's fair as well. I mean, I think you can even make a case that Bayern have slackened off slightly since the winter break, that they you know, they got hammered by Wolfsburg uh, 4-1. They, they lost against Bussi Mönchengladbach in a game that, in, certainly in retrospect, you, you could see in that um, signs of what went wrong away in Porto, which, you know, again, you, you could see in that signs of what went wrong in, in, um, in Barcelona. So, yeah, that, that, I guess, is the job of a modern manager, um, and, and maybe weirdly, Laurent Blanc's success this season in France is to start the season very slowly. So they were still fighting come March, April. I mean, it looks like PSG have, uh, have run away with it now. Um, but they, you know, they, they were level at the top, uh, well, certainly beginning of April. Uh, it's only recently that Lyon have, have dropped away Marseille slightly before that. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a very strange situation that you have a manager who has won the league in two seasons very, very easily with his side. He's got to two Champions League semi-finals. He's won a German Cup. He's gotten to the semi-final of the German Cup and then lost on penalties. And and yet we're talking about him as a failure. Um, now, I'm, I'm not even suggesting that it's wrong to talk about him as a failure, but what a bizarre position modern football's got itself into when the whole season comes down to you know, one or two games in, in April and, and the, you know, the, the length of the league campaign, which used to be the true test of the side... Is sort of now taken for granted. Well, Bayern Munich have um, have kind of gutted their rivals in the in the league. I mean, they're talking at the moment about how they're going because because the German media certainly seems to have given up on Bayern's chance of actually making it to the final. So they're full of uh, two main themes. One of them is uh, Pep Guardiola to Manchester City reports uh, be in Sports Qatar. Uh, we'll get to that. The other one is that uh, Bayern are going to spend hundreds of millions of euros on players, and uh, the list includes uh, Ilke, Gundogan. So once again, they go back to take a player from Dortmund, Kevin De Bruyne. So they take the best player from Wolfsburg, who are the second best team in the league. Angel Di Maria, which is possibly heartening news for Manchester United supporters, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it doesn't look as though next season is going to be any more competitive if Bayern get the players they're looking to sign, uh, according to the media reports at the moment. Well, it may be, I, I guess, if you... I mean, this is something Thomas Muller, I think, alluded to, that maybe you have to just make training really tough. That, um, that you, you get effectively two squads, you know, two sides, and you, you make sure they play against each other in a high-tempo game once a week, and that determines who plays at the weekend, and that actually becomes the 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 driving force. Um I, I mean, again, I sort of go back to, to the former Yugoslavia. I, I remember interviewing, this is years and years ago now, so it must be 10, 12 years ago, uh, Zorn Avramovic, who at the time was the, uh, I think, the sporting director uh, or director of football at, at Zorn Zvezda. And, and he, I remember him saying, you know, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to actually you know, buy these village clubs and, and you give them players? Is that what we have to do to create a competitive league? Now, you know, obviously, the Bundesliga is not the Serbian league. But if Dortmund, if if Bayern's main rivals are losing a key player every year and are not and are losing them to Bayern, then this this problem's just gonna proliferate. I mean how how do you if a problem is Bayern winning the league too easily, then making the squad better is actually not going to make that, that any better. Uh, and I, I think if this goes on, I, I I don't see any solution other ultimately than the than the European Super League. That almost what's going to happen is what happened in Brazil, that you had the, the state leagues, which for a long time were, were very competitive and were taken very seriously. And then when they introduced the National League, and, and that began to be taken seriously, that really now is the only focus. And the big teams completely dominate the state leagues, and they're a bit of a joke at the start of the season. And we probably wouldn't get to that point. But you're starting to think, well, is Germany, is Italy, are they becoming the equivalent of the Paulista League or, or the Carioca League? Uh, and, and ultimately, the, the super clubs are going to end up banding together and um, yeah, forming their own league. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the ludicrous idea that Guardiola, who's, had, you know, who's presided over an outstanding team, a team so good that he's suffered so few defeats that I think 22% of his defeats have been Champions League semi-finals. So he didn't lose too many matches. But he is, uh, he is being talked about in, in very critical terms at the moment. It has to do with the comparison to what, what immediately preceded him. Nobody, he didn't expect to be taken over from a guy who just won the treble 
<laughs> it's notable, I think, Jupp Heynckes' team managed to, after they'd won the league at a record early point, I think it was the 6th of April, they they went on to win uh, 13 out of the remaining 14 matches in all competitions and drew the other one. So there, there didn't seem to be any slackening in that instance. Now, I wanted to, to ask you about this these stories, um, you know, quite widely reported, certainly in Germany, that uh, Manchester City uh, seem to think that they might actually have Pep Guardiola lined up for next season. I mean, it seems a little bit implausible, but if you're at Bayern Munich at this point and you're thinking, okay, Pep is here for one more season, he never wants to sign a contract for longer than one season, is that good enough for you? Are you not thinking to yourself, we actually want the guy to commit to us for a bit longer than that. At Barcelona, Guardiola always said, no, no, it's, it's basically a one-year contract. I don't want any long-term contracts. I'll know when it's time to go. Um, Bayern Munich might be thinking, well, we actually would like to, to sort of put a team together here over the long term. And there's not really much point if the man who's the, the organizing principal of this, this team might walk out the door at any minute. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, the, the first is the fact that Hankers was, was able to sustain it. Maybe it is easier in the first season when this happens, that you, you're still on a high and it's still great. And, oh, look, we're smashing records. And maybe those records start to become less relevant as, as time goes by. So yeah, the, the, the issue of the super clubs is, is you know, it's probably only three or four years old. So that, that might be a reason. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of offering an excuse for Guardiola there, which possibly he doesn't deserve, but, but that's a possible explanation. I think there's an issue with, with Guardiola. Um, and I, I guess they both come down to the, you know, a couple of issues there that both come down to the same key point, which is the, uh, his, his uniqueness is his intensity, is, you know, the way he's always micromanaging games. You know, even when they're four and five and they're up, he's micromanaging games on the, on the edge of his technical area. And that is clearly places a massive strain on him. I, I suspect it probably puts quite a strain on the players. Um, and perhaps that's why the, the, the occasionally is friction, as the, the clearly has been with Thomas Miller and, and, and Guardiola. Uh, and, and that strain, I can see why he would not want to commit for more than a year. Um, but that then creates the problem that whoever follows Guardiola is not going to play the same style of football as Guardiola. Guardiola's football is unique. Possibly it's only really suited to Barcelona because of the way players are brought up at La Masia. Um, and I think Guardiola has slightly changed. I think his, you know, his sabbatical, he, he began to consider other things and he's, he's been more flexible. Um, but, it, but still, it, it's, it's a very idiosyncratic way of playing. So I, I think when you have Guardiola at the club, unless you are Barcelona, it's never going to be dynastic planning. You, you always know whoever com- comes in afterwards will make changes and they're probably going to be quite significant changes. So that does create an issue. And I, I, I sort of think now, I mean, the, uh, you know, although... The, the only thing that's wor- worse this season in terms of results is that they haven't won the German Cup. There has been a sense of at best stagnation and possibly you'd, you'd say they've gone backwards this season. Now, you can argue that, that injuries haven't helped and they've been a bit unlucky that, that both their wide men, both Robin and Ribery, were out for the key game and that Lewandowski with his broken jaw obviously wasn't 100%. But still, there's no great sense of progress. So while I can see that you as Bayern Munich would not want to push Guardiola out the door... I can see why you might be more willing to listen to offers. And then you can sort of, if he does go to Manchester City, you can sort of shrug and go, well, you know, we couldn't afford to keep him. And he, yeah, he wanted to go and he only had a year left. And so you, you can massage it that way. Because I think if they, if they sacked him, which I don't think will happen, but if they did sack him, it would be a tremendous admission of, uh, of failure. It would be a terrible mistake they made to appoint him while Hankers was, you know, was, was still in situ and... And as it turned out, it was about to win the treble. To take it back to this, to this week, Jonathan, is there anything they can do tactically against Barcelona to turn this around? Um, I mean, the one thing you, you, you would say about them is they, they have proved themselves capable of scoring lots of goals very quickly in the last couple of seasons. Uh, so it's in that sense, it's not completely beyond the bounds of possibility. But the problem is that it, it, you know, they defensively, I don't think, are good enough to stop Barcelona scoring. And that then means that they, they have to score five. I, I, I can't see how they can do that. I mean, it looks like Ribery might be back. Uh, Lewandowski presumably will be slightly sharper uh, with, you know, with another week to, to, to get over the, the, the facial injuries. Um, but uh, and, 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 yeah, it's the width that's the key because it, if Barcelona have a weakness, it's that space behind the fullbacks. I mean, we've been saying this for, for a decade and nobody's actually managed to do it. But that, that is, the, you know, if, if there is a weakness there, that, that, that's, that's how you attack them. 
Uh, and if you lose your two wide men, then obviously it's harder to to attack those spaces. If 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 Ribery's back and can play on one flank, and then uh, you, you have Lamb on on the other flank, he, he did very well um, playing like that against Porto. Possibly, yeah, they 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 could get an early goal and there could be panic. But I, you know, I really, I, I I struggle to see it. Uh, I mean, uh, we haven't mentioned the, uh, according to Jose Mourinho, decisive factor in this game and any game in which he plays on Friday. Somebody who was at Jose Mourinho's uh, press conference said to me, I've never seen him like this. I've, I've honestly never seen Mourinho so enthusiastic about something. Talking about Messi, he was like a kid, you know, it was amazing. I I thought, nah, he's just he's just saying this to make Pep Guardiola sound, feel bad about himself. Uh, I, I don't know what you, what what you thought Mourinho was doing there. If do you think that if Anthony, uh, the the sort of Portuguese Joe Bloggs, if Anthony had been managing Barcelona in the years two thousand eight to twenty twelve, would Anthony have beaten Jose Mourinho to the league title in twenty eleven uh, and knocked him out of the Champions League just because he had Lionel Messi in his team? No, but he probably wouldn't finish second. I mean, that's the thing that Messi guarantees you. I, I think you have to be, you know, Messi plus. Well, I suppose we saw at the World Cup, Messi plus ten good players couldn't, you know, still doesn't win everything. You still have to, you know, put him in a system that works. Uh, and I suppose Messi in the World Cup's a whole other issue as to why why he looked so tired and and why he was so um, why he restricted himself so much in what he did. Um, but no, you have to provide the framework for him. And you've even seen that this season, that um, the first half of the season, he, he wasn't, he wasn't he was good, but he wasn't brilliant. And it's the move out to the right, and, and, and that, that's allowed the, the dovetailing with, with Neymar and Luis Suarez, which wasn't there at the start of the season. So you, yeah, you've always got to provide some kind of tactical framework. But obviously, if you have Messi, it is a, it is a massive advantage. Jonathan, great. And had Messi played for Bayern on Wednesday, Bayern perhaps would have won. Yeah, Jonathan, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Ah, it's nice to see the old European Super League getting floated again. Remember this? There was a remorseless drive towards the European Super League. I think it was around the time that the Champions League was expanded. Mm-hmm. People thought, "Well, it's being expanded." Ninety-nine was it? Ultimately, it's going to be. Maybe well, even, yeah, maybe that was the first. It was year, around. It was around, around nineteen ninety. Even earlier than that, actually, in the early nineties, when the Champions League actually was first mooted. That's the, the, the Champions League is the response is the UEFA response to to the. And they um, seem to have done the job so far. UEFA seemed to have warded this off, but Jonathan thinks ultimately it will go this way. Well, they've set up a system whereby um, they've set up a system whereby the, uh, most of the money is funneled to uh, the, the wealthiest clubs, uh, which all the rich clubs are happy with. And since the uh, less wealthy clubs don't qualify for the Champions League anyway, it's as though they don't even really matter. Uh, so we will wait and see how things go. I mean, there is also this whole issue of the strike in Spain. You know, you saw this thing over the. Mm. Uh, the other day, which has to do, I mean, the, the threat is for a strike from May 16th. Um, it, it has to do with the way in which they're allocating the, you know, because you, essentially in Spain they've decided to, uh, the government has decided to say, you must now sell your TV rights collectively, not individually. Individually being the system which has benefited around Madrid and Barcelona at the expense of everyone else. They're the only team that TV companies want to pay to put their matches on TV. And so all the other clubs get really nothing. If they sell it collectively, then those other clubs will get a lot more. But maybe Real Madrid and Barcelona won't get as much, which means that Real Madrid and Barcelona are angry. So they announced this deal uh, that the TV rights were going to be sold. Um, uh, 50% would be allocated you know, equally or, uh, or a portion of that, depending on your place in the league. But then 50% or 25% would go according to how you've done over the last five years. Who's that going to benefit? And then another 25% on how famous are you? Are you really famous? Are you like really loved by uh, people around the world? Because if you are, that's good news for you. You will get a much bigger share of this money. So it rather sounds as though Essentially, <laughs> Madrid and Barcelona are going to get the same amount because they're going to sell. Uh, once it's sold collectively, the total pot will be a little bit bigger. So they're going to throw a little bit of that to the um, to the smaller clubs and then take uh, the same share for themselves. And it seems as though the others aren't quite happy with that. We started this podcast by talking about the Irish players who we hope might get back into the Premier League to replace the most likely Hull City contingent who seem to be going down. Well... Advice for them comes from Stephen. Not any of the players, his own teammates, or anyone, any one of those five or six guys at Brentford who want to impress their manager this week. All you have to do 
to try to impress him and to let him know you're up for it is shave. This is from Stephen Hunt's column in the Irish and the Sunday Independent yesterday. I didn't want anyone, the manager or staff, thinking I was looking tired or lazy. This is coming into training on Monday morning of ma- big match week. Nobody would think I rolled out of bed and had barely remembered to get here. I wanted the manager to notice that I was energetic. I wanted to look as sharp as I felt. It was a subtle signal to the manager, something he'd pick up on over the week that would make him notice the, uh, me alongside the effort I'd be putting in in training. Hunty, you've shaved, was the first thing the manager says to me when I show up for training. I might as well have walked over and told him I'm well up for it and started roaring in his face about how much I wanted it. Either way, the manager understands I'm well up for it. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Stephen Hunt didn't get in the team, but that seemed to be more of a tactical issue. All you've got to do is shave your face, and that's uh, enough to satisfy a manager. Hmm. I'm looking around at this, uh, this uh, studio. Not a lot of shaved... Shaved faces. There's a certain I mean, I, 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 element of slovenliness here. But I, I don't think that that's... I mean, maybe that's the culture that they've cultivated in Ipswich Town. Yeah. It says clean-shaven face you says know, ga- equals game face. Uh, whereas around here, it's more... You know, the, 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 the hair on your chin does not dictate... How up for the, up yeah. for the podcast you are. You know I mean? It's different cultures. It really is different cultures. I'll really leave there. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks uh, Kieran. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. We'll have another podcast out today, which will include a chat about the p- positive drugs test in the GAA that was revealed over the weekend. You can check us out at Second Captains on Twitter, irishtimes.com forward slash Second Captains or secondcaptains.com. Any of those will do the job. Thanks, mate. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 